This morning um, is a day that we celebrate the conquered um, death, that Jesus conquered death and he came back to life. But do you know that before this day that he had already declared himself the resurrection and the life? Sorry. We are in a series, and we're wrapping up a series today called I Am. And we're going to see today that Jesus calls himself the resurrection and the life. And, and what he did today, he had already proved that he could do in bringing someone else to life. And this is an important thing for us. This is an important thing because what we're going to talk about today is that the resurrection is not just about Jesus, but it's also about you. And the question that I have for you this morning is where could you in your life need need a fresh start? Where in your life could you use a fresh breath of life? Maybe there's a place or area in your life where you've where you've kind of just messed it up or you've trashed it or, or you've made some poor decisions and you just say, God, today, man, God, I just need a I just need a fresh start. Or maybe today you can say, you know what, I just feel I just feel like I may have drifted away from God just a bit over these last few weeks or days or months. And, and maybe today is just one of those moments where you say, God, God, maybe is a today where you bring me back. Or maybe it's an issue of your finances or, or your marriage. And you're saying, God, man, my marriage, it needs, it feels dead and it needs new life. Well, that's what we're going to talk about is how can the resurrection impact you? If you want to, you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. You can find it in your phones. You can just pull out your notes. This part isn't in it because it's a lengthy passage. But we're going to be looking at at, at Jesus and, and the first resurrection that he was a part of when he brought a friend of his named Lazarus back to life. And it's found in John chapter 11, verse 20 through 45. And this is what it says. Verse 20. It says, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. And Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever, I love that, will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she she told him. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here, and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him, and Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. It says, when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. And it says in verse 35, Then Jesus wept. 
The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. He said, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You've always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his, fan, his hands and feet bound in graves clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. I want to unpack four really great lessons we can learn from this story that we all need to hear today about the resurrection of Lazarus. And the first thing is this. The first truth that we can pull out of this text is that the presence of pain is not the absence of God. The presence of pain is not the absence of God. This is an important statement to understand because both Mary and Martha said the exact same thing. If, if you would have been here, Jesus, if you would have been, if you would have known, if you would have come just a few days earlier, if you would have been this wouldn't have happened, but but our situation escaped your notice. You didn't know. You were too far away. The crisis wouldn't have happened if you weren't here. And this is a misconception I think that we fall into. We have this misconception that if we're a follower of Jesus, and if we're good, or if we're faithful, or if we don't make any huge mistakes in our life, then, then we won't go through the hard stuff in life. And it's just simply not true. It's just simply not true. I put a passage in your scripture, John 16, 33. It's one of the last moments that Jesus has with the disciples. And listen to what he says to him. He says, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And it's like, thanks a lot, Jesus. I really appreciate that. How many of you have found that to be true in this world? It's just true. And it doesn't say if you follow me or if you believe in me or if you're a good boy or a good girl, bad stuff won't happen to you. It doesn't say that. He says, Jesus says that if you follow me here on this earth, tough stuff's going to happen. There will be trials. There will be sorrows. There will be hardship. But then he says this, but take heart. Go back to the text, John 16, 33. He says, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. And what it means is this, is that in the midst of the tough stuff, when we can't see that he is near, that he is close, that we need to believe he is near and he is close. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.7, he says, for we live by what? Faith and not by sight. We can't always trust what we see. I put a little, a little quote in your notes. It said, God doesn't spare us, or God doesn't promise to spare us from sorrows, but he does promise to share them with us. He does promise to share them with us. There's an incredible story. Happened during World War II about a gentleman by the name of Witold Pileski. Anybody familiar with that name? Witold Pileski was a Polish, um, a, a Polish officer, and he was also a part of their intelligence agent. 
And during World War II, he was a leader of an underground resistance in Poland when, when Nazi Germany had occupied them. And he was a leader of something called the Secret Polish Army and the Home Army in Poland. During that time, the early stages of World War II, around 1941, they started getting these rumors uh, throughout the Allies that there was a place called Auschwitz where these horrific things were happening to Jews and that thousands of people were dying every single day because of the Nazis. And 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 what told Pulaski felt like he had to do something about it. So he volunteered to be captured so that he can be taken to Auschwitz so he can get a first-hand report of what was happening to the people there. Now you have to know this, right? That this was before cell phones. This was before the internet. Anything happens today, someone has a phone out and they're just like, oh, I got to get this. And within seconds, it's all across the media. It's all across Facebook. It's all across Instagram, just like that. But back then, if you wanted to get a report about something, you had to experience it yourself. You had to take the risk. You had to go in deep. You had to, to find out what was truly happening. And so Wittold did. Wittold allowed himself to be captured, and he was taken to Auschwitz. And for a year and a half, he witnessed, this is a picture of him, a first-hand account of what was happening in the concentration camp, watching people die. While he was there in the concentration camp, he actually set up a resistance movement of other people that were captured, and they started doing a little counteraction there in Auschwitz. And after a year and a half of becoming a prisoner and become, and being a prisoner, and his life endangered, he escaped with a few men and, and wrote something called the Withhold Report. And it was in this Wittold report where he detailed the atrocities that were happening to the Jews there in Auschwitz. And it caused the Allies to have an understanding of how they could counter against that and how they could come in and take it and free the people. Now think about it this way. He was there for two and a half years. And there were thousands of people there in that camp who probably had no idea who he was. There were thousands of people in that camp that thought that no one cared. There were thousands of people that maybe had no idea that there was a man who would allow himself to be captured so that later he could help them be set free. No one knew. Now what I know is that there are times when you and I are going through some really deep and hard and tough stuff in life, in very dark places where we look around and we say, God, where are you? I don't feel you. I can't see you. And that's when you have to know that God is close, that he does see, that he does care. And just because you're going through the pain and the problems, it doesn't mean that God isn't nearby. He is. The last promise he gave his disciples before he went to heaven, he says, And lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. The scripture says, I promise I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The presence of pain is not the absence of God. Here's a second thought. Is that Jesus is moved by the things that move us. The shortest text in the Bible, everybody knows it, right? The shortest verse, it says, And Jesus wept. 
If, if anyone says, I, I, I just have a really hard time memorizing scripture, tell them this one. This is one that they can get down and they can remember. Jesus wept. We know that. But here's, these two words give us a fascinating picture of the heart of God. Because here's the deal. Did Jesus know what he was going to do when he went, when he went to Lazarus? I mean, think about it. Did Jesus know what was going on? Did Jesus have an idea that, that I'm going to go, or maybe it was like Jesus was like, oh, I'll just go see what happens. Or maybe Jesus would get distracted and heal somebody else and leave Lazarus alone. No, I mean, that's ludicrous to think. When Jesus went to see Lazarus, I'm sure he had a good idea of what he was going to do in bringing Lazarus from the dead. He knew it. It wasn't like a last-minute decision say, oh, all these people are crying. I feel really bad. I think I'm going to bring Lazarus back. No. He went. He knew. He understood. This was his plan. So why did he cry? Why did he weep? Why was he broken? I believe that he wasn't broken because of Lazarus' death. He was broken because of the broken hearts of the people around Lazarus. That he saw Mary. And he saw Martha. And he saw the brokenness in their heart. And and that brokenness and that sadness and that weeping and that wailing so moved his heart that he wept. Do you see how incredible that is? The thing about Jesus is that he was like that from the very beginning. All along. If you look at the scripture I put in your notes, Matthew 9.36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them. That word compassion is the, in the Greek is the word splunknon. And it means to be moved deep down in your spirit, deep down in your bowels, that, that you see something and it caused you to physically hurt inside because of the sorrow that you see. Have you ever been there before that, that your stomach just ached in sorrow because of something that you've seen and experienced? And that's what Jesus saw when he saw the brokenness of people. That's what he felt. It says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. He had splunknon on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. A great devotional I heard once was written by a guy, a guy by the name. And the title was, It's Only a Hamster. I want to read it to you. I think parents, you'll, get, you'll, you'll understand this completely. This is what Paul writes. He says, It's only a hamster. But there's no way I could say that to my seven-year-old daughter, April, as she wept Jenny last Tuesday. We strongly suspect foul play by the cat. Tragically, Jenny left behind a brood of one-week-old hamster babies. Our family jumped to the rescue with passion. They're only hamsters, but you would think that the stork had brought us a batch of human babies to our home waking up hourly for their nightly feedings, meticulously serving them little liquid meals with an eyedropper, trips to the pet store for the correct baby hamster formula. He says, I didn't even know there was hamster formula. I mean, who even knows that type of stuff? He says, we rigged up a special little heat lamp. There were long moments of ooing and aahing and goo-gooing over their cute little features. Did I mention... That they're just hamsters. Said today one of them escaped the cage and we tore April's bedroom apart trying to find that little thing. 
piece by piece. We shined a flashlight into every nook and every cranny. We moved heavy pieces of furniture, and finally April found them underneath the dresser. And boy, did we cheer. The lost had been found. Jesus talks about little animals like this. He says, look at the birds that fly. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in the barns because your heavenly Father feeds them. What a God we serve. But Jesus gives an even greater promise. He says, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. He says, when I see how our family has hovered over these little hamsters, I get a picture of how God hovers over us. When we lose a loved one, God weeps. When we are hungry, God rushes in with supplies. When we are cold, God warms us with his love. And when we're lost, God tears the place apart searching for us. You are so incredibly valuable to God. You see, Jesus came to tell you and prove it by giving his life on a cross. You can put your trust in him. God is hovering and watching and ooing and eyeing over you today. And he puts a little P.S. at the end. He says, P.S., I know God cares for the little animals, but I also hope he forgives them or our cat is in big time trouble. (laughs) But here's what I do want you to know. That the Jesus who weeps over the graveside of Lazarus weeps over you. He oohs and ahs over you. And the things that move you move him. Here's a third thought that we learn from this text. Is that Christ can do more. Christ can do more than deal with the difficult. He can overcome the impossible. I mean, look back at the story. How do Mary and and Martha respond? They say, if you would have been here, it wouldn't have happened. And the implication is, is is that it's too late. It's too late. And Jesus tells Martha at the very beginning that your brother, he's going to rise again. And what does Martha say? Yeah, 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 yeah. We know that one day on the last day, he will rise just like everybody else was or will. And, and, and she's probably thinking, you know, Jesus, I've, I've, I've seen you do some incredible things. I've seen the, the blind see and the lame walk and, and I've seen the sick healed and I've heard stories. You're a guy of miracles. You've cured leprosy. But Jesus, this guy has been dead for four days and he stinks. And there is nothing you can do about that. I appreciate your care. I appreciate your concern. But this is beyond even you. But it wasn't. And wouldn't you have loved to be in the crowd that day when Lazarus came out and they heard him moving? And I know you're, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, but Jared, that was 2,000 years ago, and that was Jesus, right? This is now. He doesn't do stuff like that now. Miracles like that don't happen anymore. But do they? Do you really believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? On Martin Luther King Day, um, January 19th, 2015, there were three boys playing on a lake outside of St. Louis. It was a lake or a river, I'm not quite sure. They were out on the ice, and um, it gave way, and they fell in. And, and two of them struggled for a while to stay afloat, but one sank. And, 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 he, and he was under the water for 15 minutes before rescue could get there and pull him to safety. 
Well, they pulled him out, but he was dead. And they worked on him for over 45 minutes trying to bring him back to life until they gave up. They called his family into the room. And when his mother came into the trauma room, instead of coming in crying and weeping, she came in praying very loudly. And something incredible happened. And I want you to play this video. You guys watch. Eighth grader John Smith is doing something doctors never believed would be possible. I don't really remember much about it, to be honest. He is walking and talking here with his pastor, Jason Noble, by his side and trying to make sense of how he's not just alive, but thriving after being underwater for 15 minutes. Listening to what the paramedics and doctors said, I'm pretty surprised on the outcome. An outcome some say fits in with all of the other miracles that day and in the days that followed. Like the fact Lake St. Louis fire and emergency crews had just practiced ice rescues the week before they pulled John out. And the doctor who was on duty in the emergency room at SSM St. Joseph Hospital West the day of the accident, Dr. Kent Suter, whose daughter is in the same class with John at Living Word Christian School. And in my mind, this is a very grim very poor chance at survival. Dr. Suter and his team performed CPR on John for 27 minutes with no success. The question was raised, how long should they continue? Everybody says, well, the cold helped him. He was dead for over 45 minutes. What happened next defies explanation. Dr. Suter called John's mother into the room to give her the news. John's mom came in and started praying loudly. I don't remember what all I said, but I remember telling God, Please send your Holy Spirit to to save my son. I want my son. Please save him. And they hadn't been getting a pulse at that time. And and so all of a sudden I heard them start saying, We've got a pulse. We've got a pulse. Within a matter of a minute or two, uh, his heart started again. It's an experience that's shaken many of those in the emergency room that day. This veteran of responding to medical crisis wrote a letter about it as a way to cope. That's when his heart was jump-started by the Holy Spirit, listening to the request of his praying mother. Dr. Jeremy Garrett, who oversaw John's recovery, even goes a step further. This is a bona fide miracle. John was airlifted to Cardinal Drummond Children's Medical Center about two hours after the accident. Dr. Garrett said he knew within about the first 16 hours after John's arrival that his body would physically survive the ordeal. What he didn't know was how much brain function he would have. As the lungs aren't so wired, they're starting to build information. But within 48 hours, family members reported things he didn't expect, like John opening his eyes. Then relatives told him this teen, who loves to play and watch basketball, was responding to questions about his two favorite players. They had a very interesting neurologic exam. We said, well, John, pretend your left hand is LeBron James and your right hand is Michael Jordan. And they asked him a series of questions and he got them all right. It was really amazing. What's happened since then has been a dizzying rate of continuous recovery, one even doctors are trying to keep up with. And to watch your son set up and amaze the doctors. I mean, from the neurologist coming in and say, we don't know what to do next because we've never seen this before. While we were visiting, John's rescuers from the Lake St. Louis Fire Department showed up bringing lunch seeing for themselves the boy who survived 15 minutes under the ice. I know it doesn't fit inside a little comfortable box of today, but again, you can't refute the clinical evidence. 
And while his parents haven't spoken to their son about his impulsive decision to walk out on the ice that day with two friends, they know their son has learned more than any lecture could teach him. It's a real miracle that I'm alive. I thank God that I'm alive and there's a reason that I'm alive. I just kind of got to follow what God has in store for me throughout my life. Wow. Pretty incredible, isn't it? What a coincidence, right? It's just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence that he was dead for 45 minutes and a mom starts praying and his heart starts beating and his body fully recovers. What a coincidence. Or, what a miracle. Look, I'm here to tell you today that that Jesus Christ is still the resurrection and the life today. And whatever you're going through, whatever trouble, whatever word or whatever, whenever you use the word hopeless, I want you to listen for a snicker from heaven. Because what's impossible here on earth is possible with God. That's what he said in Matthew 19.26. It says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Everything is possible for one who believes. Here's one last thought that I want you to take home with you this morning. And that's this. When we get a new life, we need to move out of the tombs. I mean, can you picture Jesus with this crowd of people around him and they roll the stone away and he screams, Lazarus, come out! And they hear this noise, this rustling, and here comes Lazarus and they're screaming and cheering and like, oh my gosh! And then Lazarus just says, hey, 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 everybody just calm down. I got really comfortable in there. I mean, I got every rock perfectly positioned. I was ready to experience. Can you, come on, guys. Or Jesus looked at him and said, you know, take off his grave clothes. And Lazarus says, hey, I just broke these things in. They finally feel comfortable. I don't want to, I don't want to, they've been four days. They finally feel like those nice pajamas. I don't want to take these things off. I mean, no, that's ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. You see, Jesus wanted to do more than just give him a new life. He wanted him to live. Why is this so important? It's because there's a lot of times in our life when we hit bottom and we ask God for a second chance. Just God, give me a second chance. God, give me a second chance. And God says, I don't want to just give you a second chance. I want to allow you to live life in a different way. I heard an obituary once with one of the saddest lines ever read. And it says, Nicole Fine, 28 years of age, from West Newton, Pennsylvania, died on January 7th, 2015, from a heroin overdose after having been abstinent for a little over a year. A young lady who had dealt with an addiction in her life and had victory, but for some reason went back. Maybe it was pressure, pressure of life just drew her back. Maybe it was she, she, didn't sur- she surrounded herself with some of her old friends and they tempted her. Or maybe she just didn't have the coping mechanisms to deal with the tough stuff in life. I don't know what it is, but for some reason she went back. And she learned what many of us know, that if you go back to the tombs, it'll eventually kill you. It'll kill you. It'll take your life. You see, we need more than a second chance. We need a different way to live. In the 1970s, the United States was rocked by a scandal called Watergate. Um, In the midst of Watergate, there was a gentleman by the name of Chuck Colson who was found himself smack dab in the middle of it. Chuck, smack dab, smack dab in the middle of it. (laughs) Smack dab, yeah. Um, See, Chuck grew up with not a very religious background, but his family was very socially active. 
and uh, he didn't have much connection with the, with the church. His father was attorney, an attorney, and he became an attorney as an adult, and he became a very successful attorney. He was such a successful attorney that eventually um, he became the special counsel to President Nixon. Colson was known as Nixon's hatchet man, right? He was regarded as being absolutely ruthless. And in the midst of all of this Watergate scandal, he found that, that he was deeply involved and he was actually convicted and spent time in prison because of his involvement in Watergate. But something happened to Chuck just moments before he was in prison. Um, actually, Chuck became a follower and became um, came to know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. A man who had headed up a company that he was a part of, um, that he did attorney work for, actually led him to Christ just days before he went into prison. And as he went into prison with this new lease on life, this new understanding, one of the things that he experienced in prison was watching all these men leave prison just to eventually come back to prison. He said, there's something broken in this system and we have to do something to fix it. And so he started a ministry called Prison Fellowship. And Prison Fellowship has become a ministry that affects and reaches out and ministers to thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people across the globe. And it's found in over 114 countries worldwide. Chuck Colson died in 2012, but in 2008, in the month of his 35th birthday as a Christian, he wrote something looking back at his time as a follower of Jesus. And I want to read it to you. This is what Chuck writes. He says, a lot of people have asked me what I think about when I remember back to that hot and humid August 9th in 1973 when Tom Phillips, the CEO and president of Raytheon Company, witnessed to me in his home. I left that house that night shaken by the words that he had read to me from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity about pride. And it felt like C.S. Lewis was writing about me, a former Marine captain, special counsel to the president, and now a guy in the midst of the Watergate scandal, I had an overwhelming sense of being unclean. After talking with Tom, I found that when I got to my automobile to drive away, I couldn't. I was crying so hard, and I was one to never cry. I spent an hour calling out to God. I didn't even know the right words. I simply knew that I wanted Him, and I knew for certain that God, that the God who created the universe heard my cry that night. And from that next morning to this day, I have never looked back. I can honestly say that the worst days this last 35 years with Christ have been better than the 41 years that preceded it. And that's a pretty bold statement, given that during these 35 years, I've spent time in prison, I had major surgeries, and I've had two kids with cancer at the same time. But it's absolutely true. That's because for these last 35 years, whether in pain or suffering, joy or jubilation, it makes no difference. I have known there was a purpose. And I have known that I belong to Christ and that I am here on earth to advance his kingdom. You see, Christ wasn't resurrected or promised our resurrection so that we can have a second chance. He did it so that we can have a new life. I love what Paul writes in Romans 6, 4, he says, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, God wants to give us more than just a second chance. He wants us to have a better future. 
question I have this morning is how many of us need some of that resurrected power in our life? Maybe some of us have hard, cold hearts, or maybe we've found ourselves lost and we need to find our way back to God. Or maybe our life has fallen apart or our marriage seems to be dying and cold. And, 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 and you're just saying in this moment, God, Jesus, I need a brand new start. And this is a perfect moment to call out to him. You see, today we not only celebrate and remember Lazarus's resurrection, but we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And it's through his grace and through his power and through the power of his resurrection that we can have a new fresh start in a brand new life. This morning, we're going to take communion as a way to celebrate. Now I have the worship team come back up. Communion is, is, is what Jesus commanded his followers and took with his followers on his last night with them. And in, in this communion, he held this bread and he held this juice and he said, this bread, this bread is, is my body that's been broken for you. It's a symbol this, this wine, this juice is my blood that has been poured out from you. It's a symbol. And every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this juice, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. I want you to remember my body that was broken. I want you to remember my blood that was spilled so that you may have a new life.